Hello everyone and welcome to an NCP conversation where biblical sermons are presented through a TED Talk-like fashion. I'm your host, William Kahn, and today is episode number 9, where we are going to do the breakdown of episode number 8, Your Bubble Will Kill You. Now you might be wondering, what is the difference between a sermon and a breakdown? Well, a breakdown is looking at the sermon, looking at the Bible verses that we use to craft the sermon, and break them down line by line. You see, there's two ways to present biblical content. The first way is to preach the message. And what does that mean, right? The idea is that preachers, pastors get up every week and they look at the biblical sermons, the verses that were given to them for that week. They go in depth, they study it, they try and understand what was the original author trying to say in that time, in that letter, to his audience, and what are the eternal truths we can draw from that. What we do is we take those truths, we draw them out, we understand how they look back to the gospel of Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, for your sins and my sins, so that we may inherit eternal life. And we contextualize it, we we take the truths that were applied back then and we bring it to today and we preach that same eternal message to you for your benefit of your soul so that you may be saved go to heaven and understand how to live to gain holiness to gain a right living with God so that you and I can live rightly in this world while we still have our physical bodies The second way of presenting biblical content is to teach, is to dive right in, go line by line, and understand what the verse is saying. Today, we are going to teach the passage, and I'm going to show you why I took the creative direction in this last sermon, Your Bubble Will Kill You, what I put in, what I left out, and how... We craft a message so that other people can hear the good news of the gospel. So, let's jump right into it. Today, we are looking at James chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. And we are going to be reading, as per the sermon, from the NLT translation. So, bear with me. Let's jump right into it. We're going to read the passage, and then we're going to break it down. Chapter 1. Verse 9, believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower into the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flowers droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. So, let's hop right into this. There's a lot of things that you might be hearing that echo back to a couple sermons previous. So the second sermon, 
which was everybody suffers. We looked at chapter uh, verses two through five, and it says, you know, have joy when you experience trials and temptations. And you hear the same kind of language echoed in verse twelve. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Right. So this whole section, verses one, verses two through twelve, is a big section that James weaves in and out of. Okay? So he's saying, God blesses those who endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life God has promised to those who love him. Now, one of the things that we have to deal with right off the bat, after just making that quick observation, because when you're reading the passage as a whole, you'll be like, oh yeah, look at verse 2 and look at verse 12. They're saying the same thing. So this whole thing must be connected. Right? But, but the passage, just in, it just in general, is confusing. Right? Look at verse 9. Believers who are poor have something to boast about. For God has honored them. I, <laughs> I don't... How do, you, how do you read that verse? Like, some people who are Christians might take that verse at face value. Oh, okay, yeah, you know, the poor have been honored by God. Well, okay, how? What does that actually mean? You know, the second verse, verse 10, is even more confusing. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them, for they will fade away like the little flower in the field. What does that mean? We see here, James is reversing the perception of his readers, of even us. Right? We're looking at this and we say, in our North American context, it is way better to be rich than it is to be poor. So what is James truly saying here? Because I look back at the biblical times and and 100% it was better to be rich than it was to be poor. So, what is James actually saying here? Because you just take this, if this is the first time looking at this passage, you say, this makes zero sense. Right? And you say, okay, I don't understand any of this. Well, one of the things that James goes into is verse 11. The hot sun rises and the grass withers, the little flower droops and falls, its beauty fades. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all their achievements. We just take that at face value as a metaphor. Oops, Susie. They take that as a metaphor, right? So, okay. Your riches are material wealth that won't last forever. Now, in view of eternity, James is saying the rich mean nothing. Oh, okay. So... Those who have riches should be humbled in light of a God that lasts forever, who is outside of time. The, the morbid truth that just at a logical standpoint, the morbid truth is that we all end up in the same place. We all end up in the grave. And so we can completely understand where James is coming here from the rich, because the rich are humbled in light of a God that lasts forever. And, 
And there's assumption here in the text that says your soul will last forever. Your soul will be long gone from your riches that will fade away. Everything that you have today, your car, your house, your money, your credit card, your wallet you got that was new two years ago that is kind of falling apart at the scenes today. All that is going to be gone in a thousand years. And yet, you will still be here. Yet, God will still be here. In light of a God that lasts forever, you, whether and let's say you are rich, let's, <laughs> and, and living in a North American context, you have a, you have a car, you have, you have a roof over your head, you have a car, you're rich. I, I don't know how else to say that. I don't, compared to the rest of the world, you're rich. You are filled with food, have a roof over your head, and have a car, you're rich. All that will be gone. Everything will be gone in a thousand years. Except for God and your soul. So, it makes sense to me to hear how God has humbled the rich. Because when you think about the rich, and and I hear this argument from a lot of my friends a lot of the time, the 1%, the top, you know, 10%, the the richest of the rich, the top 0-1%, those who hold all the money, like the Waltons, those who own Walmart, um, GM, uh, Elon Musk, anyone you know who, who works at Amazon, I don't know. <laughs> uh, you, they have so much money and they live this be- they can and, and sometimes live this beautiful life. And you say, how is that? Like, and, and they hold themselves to a high degree. And we've all seen those fancy, smanchy um, dinner parties where everyone's dressed up in their Wednesday suit and they're eating caviar and you're thinking, they are so lucky or pompous or whatever you want to call them. And you think, man, like, they have it all. And sometimes riches allow you to think you can hold it over other people's heads. We, we can play this comparison game where you think you are better than the next person because you have more. And, and, and sometimes we think the rich think that of us. And so we think that the rich are prideful. And here, when the rich come into contact with God, he humbles them. Because guess what? In a thousand years, nothing's going to matter. The morbid truth is everyone ends up in the same position, the grave. The poor end up in the grave. The rich end up in the grave. The, the middle management ends up in the grave. Everyone ends up in the grave. That's the morbid truth that everyone has to come to grips with at some point. And that should humble the rich. By that same logic, you could say that should honor the poor, but... I don't think you can make that argument. Why? Because go, telling somebody, yeah, everyone ends up in the same place, the grave, <laughs> that's not honoring. So what is God, what is James saying about God who honors the poor? Well, just as God is timeless, God is Valuable. 
the Bible continues to point to God as the most valuable thing in this world. And so we're saying that gold, silver, money, cause, nothing you have is as valuable as God. And so what do the poor have to boast about? That they have something the rich person who does not know God have. They have something that the rich do not have. They have God. And in the Christian faith, they believe that they have God who gives them life and life abundance. They believe that if they love, worship, submit their lives to God, that they will, in turn, be accepted into heaven by accepting Christ's death and resurrection, by accepting Christ's payment for their sins, they may go to heaven to be with God, to live life forever. That is something, my friends, you cannot buy. So when you think about James, he's saying, listen, those of you who have nothing left, and some of his followers... Right? who would have flown the coop, who would have left Jerusalem, left businesses, left families, left homes and wealth, and they just have scattered for their lives. They're thinking, I have nothing left. And James is saying, no, don't miss the point here. You have God. You have something money could never buy. You have something of infinite worth. That's, that's not just something. That's everything. When everything the poor has will be taken away, you will still have the greatest thing on earth. James uses verse 11, The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and fails and the the beauty fades away. In the same way, the wish will fade away with all their achievements. Now there is a... Old Testament verse that is found not in the New Testament but the Old. The Bible is made up of the Old Testament, which is the Jewish Bible, and the New Testament, which is the life and afterlife of Jesus, like the life of Jesus and the events that uh, happened after Jesus' life, and letters written to the church to um, to benefit them and tell them how to live holy and righteous lives. Right, so you have James in the New Testament. He is pointing back in verse 11 to an Old Testament verse, something found in the Jewish Bible. Um, I'm trying to think if I can find it. But essentially, it says, The grass feathers, the grass, the grass withers, and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. I think that's found in Isaiah. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord should stand forever. That, my friends, is an amazing truth. That no matter what happens here on earth, God's law, God's reign, God's wisdom is going to be forever. James here says, you know, the rich will fade. He changes the ending. He doesn't say the word of the Lord stands well. He says, in the same way, the rich will fade with all their achievements. Unreal. It's an unreal reading. It's a, it's a, it's a true reading 
because he believes that not only the word of the Lord will stand forever, but because you have submitted your lives under that word, you will live forever. You, if you submit to Jesus, will live forever. But the riches will fade away. Those who have it good now and who don't submit to Jesus will fade away. That is an amazing, um, an amazing point of view. And then he ends with saying, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life. God has promised to them. Essentially, he's saying, you will gain eternal life because you have endured these hardships where the rich don't have to. The rich who don't know Jesus may, may not have to think about such things. And yet, if they live their entire lives for themselves and they do not end up coming to Jesus, they will fade away. Where you, even though you have lost everything now, will gain everything when you pass away from this world. Jesus says those who keep their lives will lose it. But those who lose their lives for the sake of Jesus will be given life and life to the full, will be given eternal life. This is a message, this is a gospel message of, of the Bible. This is the big thing that nothing compares to God. Now, now that we've gone through what the passage says and the gospel message, why did I take the creative direction that I did? Why did we talk about perspective for so long? We started off with talking about lies and a discussion of truth. And I wanted to say that because of those first couple of verses, verses 10 and 11, they're so confusing, you just are kind of put off right away. You're saying, well, it doesn't make sense. And so the idea is that sometimes the way you see the world and the way the world actually is doesn't line up. Right? There's an objective reality and then your perception of that reality. So the truth and lies play a role in objective reality, the truth of the situation, and your perception of it, which may be true if it lines up correctly, or it may be a lie. It may be a lie because it stops you from seeing the truth. <laughs> Some people are going to scream and yell at me for this because... They say, well, I'm not seeing the world correctly. That's just a misconception. Well, yeah. And, and maybe, like, you know, you don't want to call it a lie, but, but it's taking away from the truth. If I tell you I'm going to arrive at 5, but I don't plan to arrive at 6, that's a straight-up lie. If I say I'm going to arrive at 5 and don't get to 5.30 because of rush hour, I kind of lied, you know, because I took away from the truth. I didn't arrive at five. There is truth, lies, and then somewhere in the middle, there's this gray area, but there's not, because it just lies, right? There's full-blown truth. And then anything that is, uh, uh, anything that is not that is, is this misconception, and, and, the, and the easiest easiest way, the harshest way, of course, to say that is there are lies taking away from the truth. So, 
you see the world one way. That is called your perception. The question is, does it line up with reality? Because James is making the biblical case here that those who think the rich are more blessed, that the rich are the ones who are being honored, are being lied to. Because they're not taking into account the, the goodness, the value, the, the most wonderful thing whose name is Jesus. And you are missing Jesus from your equation. You're going to get up with the wrong solution because you're completely missing the question. In math, you start off with this huge equation and you boil it down to the answer. Right? But if part of the equation is being hidden from you, you're going to end up with the wrong answer. Right? And so some of these people listening to James have the wrong answer because they cannot see Jesus. That's, that's the whole thing here. And that applies to your life and my life today. We will go searching for riches. For those of you who are a little bit older, you go searching for riches. Why? Because what is better than having your mortgage paid off? What is better than having all this money that you can give to your kids and to your grandkids? Right? For, for the millennials and the I generations, we go searching for not material things, but for experiences. What's better to say than to say that you took a selfie with the Egyptian Sphinx. What's better than, than, than laying on a beach in Mexico and, and, and taking, and, and taking uh, a picture of your feet in the beach? Right? <laughs> Whether you're searching for material wealth or for experiences, the question is, what do you think of God? Is God more valuable than these material things or these experiences? Because if he is, you, you completely understand why we think those things are almost meaningless. I'm not going to say they are meaningless because, because this is your one life. You don't get another life in this. Like we don't believe in, in, in reincarnation. We don't... Uh, of man in, in, in the form that I will come back as a ladybug or I will come back as a grasshopper or I will come back as, as, as a god. We will come back, I believe, in the form of souls, some of us destined to spend a life with Jesus in heaven, some of us destined to spend our lives apart from Jesus in heaven. The question is, what do you think of God? What do you think of the Most High God? If you think He is the most valuable thing in the world, then you 100% understand that you are poor. If you don't think God is valuable at all, then you're probably among the rich who say, I have everything I could ever need. But you see, this is what James is talking to his believers about. He's saying, those of you who are poor, you understand, man, you are really poor because there's a God who has way more than you do. But because you have God, you are rich. Because the rich, or the wealthy, material rich, don't have God, 
Oh my gosh. They got, guys, those are the ones who are poor. Those are the ones in the end who will be humbled. See, James is doing this whole perception check on his fellow believers. He's saying, don't believe the lies that say the rich should be boasting and the poor should be humbled. No, if you're poor and you know Jesus, you are rich. If you're material rich and you don't know Jesus, man, you are poor. James is talking to his fellow believers, those who would be his early followers and who have lost everything. And he says, you are going through trials and temptations and you have lost everything. And this is the great truth. But they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. The last call in this first section in the book of James, James is saying, don't stop loving God. Don't stop loving God. And, and, and as we move into the next section, we'll see, you know what? Don't stop loving God. And guess what? Ask God for things. God is generous. Maybe you don't have material wealth, but he will give you wisdom. He'll give you his spirit. He will give you life and life abundant. Even if you die in the physical realm, you will still live because you will be with God who is life. This is an amazing idea. So that is why we spend so much time on perception because in this verse, we find James messing with our perception. He is saying, you need God in your equation when it comes to life. Because if you don't, you're going to come up with the wrong solution. If you have God in your equation, it's going to start and end with God. The question that ran through this whole document was what roots out lies in your life? The rich cannot say it is money. Money roots out lies. Money brings so many lies. Who are your friends? Right? You know, if you're rich, give away all your money. Then see who your true friends are. <laughs> when you're poor, you know who your true friends are. Because they, they, they like you for you. <laughs> they don't care how much money for you. Like, if, if you're rich and you lose all your money and your friends are still around, guess what? They're your friends. Because they were with you at your lowest. But they're just hanging around because you're showering. Like, you walk into a room and you're flashing the cash. You're, you're, you're making it rain behind you and people are just following you on their knees picking up money. Right? When that's gone, they're gone too. Money does not root out lies in your life. Facts. Facts do not root out lies in your life. Nothing roots out lies except a true perception on life when you see objective reality. So that is how we decided to craft this sermon today. Oh, a week ago. We wanted to show you that you have a bubble. You have biases. There's a world that surrounds you. There's a lens that you look through. Right? Where you see the world. 
the idea is to clean that lens, to clean your bubble so it's see-through, right? Because we talk about this idea of rose-colored glasses when you're in love, right? Where all you see when you look at your partner, at your significant other, and all you see is grace and love and beauty and power, and you don't see them for who they are, right? And then what happens? Those come off one day, and you see the person that you actually fell in love with or you actually married, and you're saying, oh my gosh, maybe I made a mistake. <laughs> Start to clean your bubble. Start to clean the lens that you see your world through. Take off the rose-colored glasses. See the world clearly. Because if you don't, you might end up going down a dark alley that seems bright as day because you have a very confused lens, because you have a very dirty bubble, and you're walking down the alley and you don't see the danger that's surrounding you. Fix your perspective. James is asking you to fix your perspective, especially when it comes to the idea of God and who Jesus is. This is not about wealth. Even though there's a lot of idea of wealth in here, and there's lots of uh, analogies about flowers and fields, this is not about money. This is about God in your life helping you see the world clearly. Because if you see the world clearly, you will cling on to who Jesus is, you'll cling on to who God is, and you'll hold on tight. I think, I think the ending could have been better of my seven. I think I rushed to close it down. I want to do that a little bit better next time. I was a little bit worried about this sermon because on first glance, you're asking the question, how did you get perception from that biblical verse? But my study led me to believe that this wasn't about wealth, but it was about how the poor and the rich were seeing themselves in light of God. I 100% believe that this is a message Jesus has for you immediately for this week. How are you seeing yourself in light of who God is? Some of you don't believe in a God. Some of you 100% believe there's a God. And others of you believe there's a God, but you've kind of lost perspective that He's in your life. He's right beside you. He's calling you to speak to Him, to, to converse with Him, to ask Him questions, to, to, to treat Him as the Lord of all of life and the King of all kings. This verse was 100% about perspective. But you don't get that at first glance. My friends, as I leave you today, I am excited for you to move forward. I hope that you go into the world, into the next couple of days, and you ask yourself, who is God?
just ask yourself that. Who is God? Who is God? Who are you in, in, in light of God? If there is an all-powerful, all-knowing, outside-of-time God, what does that mean for your wealth? What does that mean for your privilege? What does that mean for your experiences? What does that mean for your family? What does that mean for your context, for this season you find yourself in? What does this mean for your life? My prayer is as you go, that you'll find right perspective. We talked about a lot of things today. And this is the difficulty I find with um, biblical teaching. Is There's just lots of facts. And I appreciate the preaching of a gospel-centered sermon is that there's one message. That message is that Jesus is coming into your life and he is asking the question, how do you see your life in light of me? So I pray that you go out and you you explore this question. Guys, I am so thankful that you listen week in and week out. I am so thankful that you have taken the time out of your week to, to converse with me. If you have any questions at all, send me an email. My email is will at compassvagina.com. I will, go, I will be glad to get back to you. Let's continue the conversation into this week, into this month. May God bless you today and forever. This is William Thorne signing out.